Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where economic developers from across the country spill their secrets to our host, Nicole D'Souza. You'll hear firsthand accounts from economic developers in the trenches, from what works to what doesn't work, how deals come together or how deals go bad. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. ED Secrets listeners, it's Patience Fairbrother and Andy Levine of Development Counselors International. If you simply can't get enough of economic development podcasts, we hope you'll check out our podcast, The Project, Inside Corporate Location Decisions. Every two weeks, we go behind the scenes to look at the latest site location announcements. We interview the corporate executives, site selection consultants, and economic developers behind the projects. The Project Inside Corporate Location Decisions is clearly among the top two economic development podcasts in the world. So check us out on iTunes or aboutdci.com. That's The Project Inside Corporate Location Decisions. Give us a listen. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Economic Development Secrets, where we discuss highlights from this year's podcast episodes. We will cover current trends in the economic development field and discuss some of the top tips shared by our special guests. We had a wonderful year of special guests on the podcast who shared their wisdom and advice. I hope that our listeners will pick up on some fresh ideas and be encouraged to try to implement them in the new year. One of the first economic development trends shared this year was the growing demand for spec space. While multiple ED professionals have brought up this hot trend, Michael Collins, president and CEO of Port Kansas City, Missouri's economic development team, shared just how astronomical the demand for spec space has grown and how it affects their local economy. Over last year alone in Kansas City, Missouri, we put in um, almost 7 million square feet of industrial spec space, new spec space um, in areas that didn't have it. Um, we've used areas such as um, properties that are sitting up on old landmines, um, not, and I'm talking about like cavernous mines where we mined out the limestone 40, 50 years ago, um, refilled it, and then now we have industrial within it and on top of it as well. And we've seen this continual growth. And not only, not until this year though, have we seen the amount of industrialized growth from a speculative um, uh, basis really continue to move as fast as it has um, in the last five to 10 years, of course. Another hot trend that has been gaining popularity is virtual offices. More and more companies are allowing workers to work from home, slowing the demand for office space. Along with virtual offices, online shopping has taken off, ultimately hurting local retailers in retail space. Mary Jacobs, Assistant City Manager of Sierra Vista, Arizona, discusses how these two trends are directly affecting her community. You know, at, at the national level, and certainly we've seen this here in Sierra Vista, there are definite trends away from needing as much office space. More and more people are telecommuting. They don't need large offices. Um, and as you know, more and more people, and I'm certainly part of that, that category, are buying more things online. And so they're being delivered to their door instead of people going to the local retail stores in order to, you know, look at something, try things on, you know, choose them. And so we're seeing nationally these trends of retailers closing 
and that is causing um, you know additional office space to be available, additional retail space to be available, and certainly that means less of a demand for for brand new structure. So a focus on redevelopment is very important in Sierra Vista, filling stores, filling offices, that sort of thing. Unfortunately, what are the ones that are left to be filled? The ones that maybe aren't quite as spiffy? Um, you know, the ones that people upgraded to some years ago and now we can't backfill them. So having incentive programs to try to get business owners or property owners to upgrade their facilities so that they become more attractive, maybe repurpose them, is important. Several guests on the podcast this year are very passionate about skilled labor and the importance of educating students and parents so that they know college is not the only option. Sean Stockard, President and CEO of the Economic Development Alliance for Brazoria County, Texas, shares his thoughts. We've got politicians that talk about bringing back manufacturing uh, jobs. We have politicians that talk about bringing back uh, uh, jobs and industries uh, that that really no longer fit in the 25th or in the excuse me in the 21st century. And it, it's frustrating to me knowing that you know there's you know three and a half million available vocational jobs out there that people could be very easily uh, today trained for and go to work and make a very very good living, yet we seem to be focused on bringing back trying to bring back manufacturing jobs or technologies that you know have gone the way of the dodo in my opinion. How do economic developers create more awareness about vocational trades? I think that the the you know the the starting point for me and one of the things that I try to push in in every community that I've worked in is that relationship with the community college uh, colleges located in in either the community that I work in or at least the region that I work in and the high schools um, you know even when I was in in school, there's always been a stigma, it seemed, uh, associated with the vocational trades, uh, shop, uh, welding, uh, woodcraft, uh, you know, drafting, plumbing. Uh, those those kind of classes are where the, if you will, the the troubled students were sent because they didn't have a a four-year uh, university uh, uh, in their future. And that's such a mistake. It, it, it's such an oversight and a disservice uh, to families and to, uh, to potential uh, future workforce in this, in this country that, that it's a shame. So I think we need to, from a, from a job uh, perspective and a job standpoint, I really think that's where the future lies, is pushing the vocational trades, and educating not only the students, but the students' parents, letting them know that there are other opportunities and other options for their children to go out and have good family wage paying jobs where they can afford, they'll be able to afford to buy a home. They may even be able to start their own business with this crap. They'll be able to take their family on vacation. They'll be able to afford health care. They'll be able to, you know, sound corny, they'll be able to live the American dream 
rather than trying to, um, you know, uh, base their hopes and dreams on technologies and, and industries that, again, don't necessarily have a, a place uh, in, in today's marketplace. Kristen Reese, Executive Director of the Cleveland County, North Carolina Economic Development Partnership, has found that her community has a shortage of skilled workers, and her organization is diligently working towards helping these companies recruit trained workers. Now, companies uh, are having some difficulty finding skilled workers, and so um, we're, we're hearing from more and more companies that, that there are labor, skilled labor shortages. Again, not just confined to our community, but across the state, across the country, they're, they're having issues in terms of not just finding skilled, skilled workers, but um, you know, really taking care of um, even small scale attrition that they're seeing at their facilities in terms of you know, the, Many of these companies, uh, traditional manufacturers, um, in, in, from a capacity standpoint, the majority of their capacity was fulfilled by the baby boomer generation. Um, these baby boomers made up the largest percentage of their workforce. And so many of those baby boomers are um, retiring. Um, they're leaving. They're, they're, they don't have the ability to work 60-hour work weeks anymore, so there's some shrinking capacity internally with these manufacturing companies. And so, um, you know, that's definitely playing into um, these companies having, uh, you know, a difficult time finding people. And so, another issue these companies are having, um, you know, we're not, we're not seeing as many um, students graduating and choosing manufacturing as a profession. And so um, that, that's certainly an issue right now that we are having to, to counter. And so um, we're hearing from many site location consultants that they believe that economic development organizations really need to be the primary facilitators of workforce development effort. Skilled labor is becoming one of the number one criteria uh, for, for many companies um, when they're making site location decisions. Right now, you know, we are working to, to increase the skills of the existing workers that reside in our labor market by partnering with our, our community college, partnering with our local school system. Um, another, another way that we can uh, focus on these efforts is by actually taking a, a, a good look at the out migration patterns, the out-commuting patterns of our communities. Kristen also notes that people are choosing where to live based on quality of life and then find a job in that area, rather than the traditional way of choosing a place to live based on where your job is. One of Cleveland County's new initiatives to attract businesses and a workforce to their community and also to help fill local jobs is utilizing microsite marketing, which is another trend growing in popularity. And now we're, we're seeing that quality of life and labor, um, labor availability, workforce availability um, are, are two of the most uh, primary components of that initial site location search. Um, we're also looking at investing um, in what is called a microsite. So we have our traditional economic development website here, but we're looking at taking it, uh, taking it a step further and creating a 
a microsite that actually is promoting many of the place-based attributes of our community, but also is incorporating a career and job search engine. So our website, we want to have everything really compiled and consolidated into, into to one site where they not only can research the attributes of our community, um, they can search careers at the same time and they can really, um, really um, get to know the manufacturers who are who are operating here. So we find we are planning on really spotlighting those um, those manufacturers and um, and and the unique qualities of those manufacturers. Likewise, Nathan Tafoya, executive director of the La Mesa, Texas EDC, shares just how vital a good and informative website is for your community. There's some really interesting and and really free third party um, applications that I think economic developers can use to to enhance their own websites. To uh, you know, it, there's there's programs that will grab you know the data for your community put them automatically into an interactive graph that you can embed in your website that you know will automatically output into an infographic and so it's just those types of things and knowing you know price points have even changed like the 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 growth of the internet um and i'd say the democratization of the internet um and and applications thereon have really <clears throat> allowed um, economic developers to really tell their story in a much better way than they used to because it used to be really expensive. There used to be a lot of companies that thrived on being the sole source of data. And now there's, there are, you know, algorithms and robots that do a lot of that data that, you know, they, that traditional companies had, you know, hundreds and thousands of employees trying to find this data. And that was built into the cost of providing you that data. That, kind of, of paradigm shift, I think, in resources and the internet and data and research really makes, should make economic developers be constantly reevaluating how they gather data because it's cheaper. Um, you can do it in-house. Now, if you do hire a research person, which I, you know, if you can, that's, that's amazing and you should, pointing them to the right resources, making sure that they're, they're up to date on all that is kind of around them um, to be able to provide data on your, your community. And so it, it, the, the democratization of the internet has really uh, lowered prices for economic development. Our last highlight is research. A couple of guest speakers really helped to give listeners some tips and tricks for getting started with research, as well as ways to sustain it. Jenny Phillip, Director of Research at the Greater Houston Partnership, shared what indicators they use to study their local economy. So we, we analyze a multitude of indicators, uh, and this can be um, anything from you know employment to oil prices, rig counts, gas prices, uh, retail sales, commercial real estate, residential real estate, vehicle sales, um, you know, anything that gives us a pulse on the economy. We take all of this data and we turn it into a piece to data and analysis that we find um, hopefully is approachable. Um, and we know that there's so much information that's out there now um, and we want it to be unbiased. And you know, this is the data as it is presented to us. Um, and this is what we find can be useful in your line of work. 
um, in trying to make well-informed business decisions and hopefully creating a one-stop shop for all of this data um, so that it's easily processed for them and for them to know how to apply it to their work. And you know, a lot of the data, so because we are a nonprofit, um, you know, our budgets are tight for what we can spend our money on. So we're very selective on the sources that we do pay for. But a lot of it is publicly available information, you know, from the census, from the um, Bureau of Labor Statistics, Bureau of Economic Analysis, uh, as well as relationships that we've built with data collectors in the region. Jenny also discusses how they create intelligence on local companies in supporting business retention and expansion efforts. Right, so the, the intelligence is, you know, coming from two areas. One is what can be publicly available, found anywhere, and that can be through resources like Hoover's, Reference USA, Privco, the company's website, just gathering the overall information, creating a dossier um, or a company profile. But then the other is talking to the managers, the economic development managers that may have a relationship with that company, um, specific people within that company, and understanding what their dialogue has been, what are their concerns, what are the company's concerns about doing business in Houston, and what role can the partnership play in helping them develop their business. Um, and so it's trying to put all of those pieces together and understand you know, what's pertinent in our relationship, in the partnership's relationship with that company and helping them address their issues. Well, there's, there's kind of two levels to it, right? So there's the company specific <clears throat> and then there's the macro level. Um, and oftentimes that macro level influences what's happening on the company level. So for example, for us, what's happening in the energy industry, that's impacting not only energy companies, but those who service those ener uh, energy companies. So law firms, accounting firms, marketing firms, um, and being able on the research end to provide just general information on what's happening on the energy industry, but then in conversations with a company saying, you know, when you see oil prices fall by this amount, you know, you can be concerned for X, Y, and Z reasons, or don't be concerned because this is typical. <laughs> so it's being able to provide knowledge not only specific to their company, but also industry trends that impact their business decisions. Jenny also shares information on their economic analysis panel, which is a great way to keep all of the research for your community organized. So I had touched briefly on the economic analysis panel. And so, you know, word of advice to other organizations in different communities. I think it, it's something that could be replicated um, and has been such a great tool and resource for the partnership um, because there's only so much that we can read from the trade papers and understand from our conversations. Um, but when we have this monthly meeting, it really helps crystallize what's happening in the local economy and what they're picking up on in their conversation. So it just, it's like an exponential growth in the knowledge that we have. So those monthly meetings were such a good gauge, um, not only through the numbers that they were sharing, but just through the mood, through the nonverbals, um, the way that the message was being conveyed, the kind of stresses that they were sharing. Um, and that's something that is hard to pick up on in even just well-written reports. Um, and it's those relationships that are built with other groups that are working on, you know, accomplishing the same goal as your organization that can really help any research team, um, you know, move forward in their understanding of the economy. 
Tanner Jones, research analyst for the Baldwin County, Alabama Economic Development Alliance, describes how they take the research, whether it is what the prospect wants to hear or not, and shows the prospect how it works in their favor. So, so my main focus uh, in the research that we do here is is all geared towards business development. So we don't we don't necessarily handle a lot of huge projects where we are analyzing just uh, big data, but we, we use the numbers that we know uh, our clients and our prospective companies have access to, uh, and we use those numbers to, to sell our community uh, in the best way that we can. Uh, sometimes that means taking a, a number that that is not as positive as, as others might think uh, from an occupation standpoint. Maybe we have a, a low, um, maybe we have a low occupation number in a, in a certain profession, and we need a, a large number of of, of, of uh, workers in that profession. And for us, uh, we we use a lot of uh, transferability of skill to show how. Uh, how we we may not have that specific occupation uh, ready to go, but we have uh, we have other workers that would be willing to transfer into that occupation, have high skill level that that would transfer easily into that occupation. We do a lot of strategic things like that, just just taking taking the story that we know uh, we know that when when companies get to us, they already know our our data story. They already know. What um, what the numbers say on Census Bureau's website or or wherever they're getting their information. Um, our job is to take that information and turn it into something that's more useful for them, uh, and of course it paints our our community in the best light possible for for that potential client. We had many other wonderful special guests on the podcast with a myriad of wonderful advice that I encourage you to check out, whether it be listening to the podcast episodes or reading the blogs containing clips from each episode. I'd like to say a special thank you to all of our special guests this year for taking the time to share their economic development wisdom with me and our listeners. I look forward to another exciting and educational year of podcasts. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. For more information on this podcast or to listen to past episodes, check out www.impactdatasource.com.